Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. Just be fixed. See how he did that? You see, it's kind of like Fonzie. You remember Fonzie would walk in, he'd hit the jukebox, and it'd start working? It's powerful. I need a leather jacket to preach tonight, hey? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I'd like you to grab your Bible, and I'd like you to go to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1, if you would. <laughs> I am approaching this message with great reverence, as I always endeavor to do. I don't know how this is going to be imparted tonight. It's never premeditated. I don't know if I'm going to be in this lower register or if I'm going to end up like a volcano. I feel like a volcano down in my spirit. But I believe the Lord wants to impart something magnificent, magnificent upon us tonight. I want to preach to you tonight um, a word I've, nev- I've never preached ever before, but I want to preach to you about a firestorm of glory. A firestorm of glory. A firestorm of glory. So Lord, I just thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the privilege of being called to preach a gospel of glory. Thank you for calling me to preach a gospel of glory. May the power and the glory of this word be released upon this house, upon this city, upon this county, upon this region as we prepare the way of the Lord and we enter into the new day of the fire of God falling. Jesus, Jesus be magnified. Let the word of the Lord be amplified and go throughout this region, awakening those that are dead unto life. In Jesus' name, amen. You're in Ezekiel chapter 1, right? Thank you for going there. Maybe that prayer helps some of you find that a little better. I, um, I want to start in, in this level of posture, I guess. In, in, um, in the spring months of 2014, my wife and I were living in Dallas, Texas. And I had been in a time where I was set apart with the Lord. I was in a time of extended fasting. I was in a time of extended prayer and secret place with the Lord, and I was also writing the manuscript of my first book, Unstoppable and Unquenchable Fire. I had a series of really profound, strong dreams in this time of fasting and prayer and really learning how to write uh, properly. It was my first experience writing a book, and so... I had a dream, I'm not going to go into the fullness of it, but I had a dream of a powerful firestorm coming down. It was in burning red holiness. It was in burning red power of the throne of God being made manifest that brought the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to our nation and the nations of the earth. 
When you look at the life of Ezekiel, he has some of the most electrifying, some of the most profound encounters and descriptions of encounters of the heavens being open and experiencing visions of God, the very throne of God, the four living creatures before the throne of God, and seeing Jesus, the Lamb of God, before the throne. These are, these are epic, powerful revelations and visions. Throughout the entire chapter, I'm not going to go through, if I tried to go through chapter 1, we would never get out of chapter 1. We would never move forward. So I have to highlight some specific verses, and I know that you're there. And I want you to look at verse 4 to start. And then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it, radiating out of the midst, like the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. It was a mighty storm. It was a mighty raging cloud, this billowing, radiant fire of God that Ezekiel encountered. I'd like you to jump over Well, I'm going to grab this verse. I didn't prepare our team. But verse 13, I'm going to go over. As for the likeness of the living creatures, he talks about these four living creatures. You see the face of the man, the face of the lion, the face of the ox, the face of the eagle within these mighty creatures before the throne of the Lord. Verse 13, he says, as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth amongst living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. Wow. <laughs> Let's say wow together. Wow. Verse 25. He gets through this awesome encounter of getting before the throne He's witnessing these creatures before the throne, these four living creatures. He's he's trying to describe how epic and breathtaking the very throne of God is. It's this wheel within a wheel within a wheel, and these eyes, these bright flashing eyes around the wheel. But then he comes to the apex, and we find ourselves in verse 25. And a voice came, and a voice came from above the firmament, that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings, and above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne. An appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man. High above it, Also the appearance of his waist was upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber and the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. And so it was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Wow. I saw the likeness with the appearance 
of a man. Everybody look at that. Of a man. Verse 26, high above it. This man, this man is Jesus Christ. He is the heavenly man. He is the heavenly burning man. He is the unstoppable, unquenchable burning man and fire of the living God. He is the son of man. He is the son of God. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. He is the everlasting son of God who was dead but now forever liveth. Glory to God. Woo! He's the burning man of holy fire. He is fire. The one that we worship tonight, the one that when we access the throne of God and we stand in this place as family, that we have the privilege and the access to come before him. He is the burning heavenly man. He's a man. He's not some abstract shape. He's not some piece of art. He's a man. He's the heavenly, eternal, holy man. When Paul writes about this man in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11, he says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those that are in heaven, those that are in the earth, and those that are under the earth. That is literally the demonic realm. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ezekiel is trying to find language. He's beside himself. He's trying to find language. He's trying to grasp understanding to give us clarity to identify what he's encountering. Some of the most epic encounters of God is found in the book of Ezekiel. It's amazing. But I want to go back to the beginning because what Ezekiel saw, it says that as he sat by a river, he said that the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. And then he said, I saw a whirlwind coming out of the north, a great cloud raging fire engulfing itself. The brightness was all around. And there was a radiating force coming out of the midst like the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. It was a storm. I want to talk to you tonight about a firestorm of glory. I think it would be interesting tonight if we could just have the children of Israel here we could hand them the mic one by one, what it was like to show up at the Mount of Sinai. Wow. The sight was horrific. The sight of the glory of God was terrifying. The sight of the glory was terrifying. They were afraid to even approach the mountain because the entire mountain was burning with fire and there was lightnings and thunderings of the throne of God that had come down and the Lord had come down to meet with them. Now you think of that. I've been in outpourings of the Holy Spirit where literally 
People were calling all over the city, all over the region, calling fire, for, for firemen and fire trucks because they saw, they saw fire on top of the church. And they were calling, and the, and the fire trucks kept showing up and showing up and showing up to our church. It happened over and over and over again. But what they saw, <laughs> what they saw is a whole nother thing. I like to say it like this. See, when Moses encountered God on Sinai, he encountered a bush. You remember that? And the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. It wasn't a big deal that the bush was burning. Bushes burned all the time in the wilderness and in the desert. But what really caught and turned Moses' face and turned his eye and turned his heart was there was something different about this bush. It was not being consumed. And when he turned in his tracks... And he turned aside to, to look what God was doing. It says, then the angel of the Lord spoke from the bush. But part of the word was, Moses said, how will I know that you're going to be with me? How am I going to know that I'm going to be able to bring three million of the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, and bring them back here. And God just simply said, you'll know when you go and get them and you, bring, and you bring them back to this mountain that I was with you. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging? God, how will I know you're really with me? Well, when you go and you do the assignment I told you to do and you come back here and you witness yourself standing here with all three million of them, then you're going to realize I, I was with you. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. But when Moses encountered God, the bush was on fire. When Moses came back to the mountain, the entire mountain was on fire. That's what Paul calls in the book of Galatians the ever-increasing power, of the all-surpassing power of the glory of God. I, we're believing, we collectively, we... We, we've got some level of a vision of an outpouring, but it's nowhere close to what God is dreaming about. We, how many of you remember the scratch and sniff stickers? How many of you remember those? Me and my cousin Kurt used to run down to this, this little shop, and we would get these scratch and sniff stickers, and you could scratch those suckers, and you could smell grapes. You'd scratch those suckers, and they'd smell like strawberries or whatever, but it wasn't the real deal. You were just getting a little scent, but you weren't holding the substance. Can I preach? Sometimes we're getting great scents, and we think, oh, oh my gosh. No, 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 no. Just hang on and keep pressing in. We're holding on for the real substance. In God's vision, in God's dream of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I want to talk for just a minute about a storm. See, Ezekiel saw the storm of fire approaching. I want to let that sit on your heart for a minute. He saw a storm of fire approaching. A storm is this. A storm, listen to these words. You look up a storm like I did, and it can be defined as this. A storm is a disturbance in the air above the earth in the atmosphere. Once you hear these prophetic words tonight, it is a disturbance 
in the air above the earth's atmosphere. It is a manifestation of winds and unusual force or direction, often accompanied by rain or snow or hail or thunder or lightning or flying sand or dust or the heavy fall of rain or snow or hail or a violent outbreak of thunder and lightning. Hear those words again. A violent outbreak of thunder and lightning accompanied by strong winds. In the verb tense, it means, listen to this, a verb is a what? It's an action, right? Listen to this. In the verb tense, this is what a storm means. A storm means to attack or to rush upon or to capture a place. A storm means to rush upon or to capture a place. I'm, I'm preaching good news tonight. I'm preaching good news tonight. I'm talking about God showing up in a storm of his glory, in a storm of his fire, and <laughs> capturing you, capturing us, capturing our wonder, not just capturing our attention, but capturing our very being, that we stand at attention and full throttle knowing, oh, God is here. God is here. God is here. And he comes in a storm of fire. It's what Ezekiel encountered. You have that happen, my dear brother, my dear sister. You'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. To rush upon, to capture a place, to deliver a violent attack of fire, haha, as with artillery. Oh my. I see a firestorm. I see a firestorm. You hear me? I see a firestorm. And that firestorm is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom coming. And it is on the horizon of America, it is on the horizon of the nations. He is coming with his eternal burnings and his eyes of fire. I had a defining moment in my life. Some of you may remember the story, but I had a defining moment of my life in October of 1997. My wife and I had just been married two years. I got on a bus from Columbus, Ohio, at a church that we were pastoring at at the time. I got on a bus. There was a number of buses that were pulling out from our church parking lot, and we were heading to Washington, D.C. We were heading to Washington to meet with over one million men at a sacred assembly with Promise Keepers. Recently, I was with my son, and we, about a month ago, Brent and I and Victoria and Josiah and some of our team here and Jane and, and others from the front and others from Sarasota House of Prayer. We were just there about a month ago. And when Josiah and I went for a walk together and I started telling the story once again to give him history and to give him a slice of my life and to give him a greater vision of what even God has done on that Washington Mall. I remember it was a 10-hour coach ride, 10 hours. The atmosphere in that coach was very sober. It, it wasn't all, you know, frills with all the men. 
people weren't playing around. People were serious. The men of our church, we had prayed. The men of our church, we had fasted. We had prepared ourselves to get on that bus and get before God. It took us 10 hours to get there. And I remember arriving. I remember the next morning getting up before the sun came up and getting out to the Washington Mall. And to our surprise, 1.2 million men came from the four corners of America for a sacred assembly to bow their knee, to lay in the grass face down, to honor the Lord, to repent, to call forth for God to heal our land and forgive our sins, to humble ourselves and pray and seek His face. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It was, it was a defining moment for my life, and it's still with me tonight. It's part of who I am. It's never left me. It's hard to convey what it sounded like hearing grown men crying. Grown men in a mass, in a massive men, grown men crying before the Lord, grown men on their knees, grown men face down. I remember my face just flat down in the grass and listening as tears were pouring out of my eyes. You know, it's hard to convey. It's hard to convey. But in some small way, the Holy Spirit was letting me feel the pain in the Father's heart for America. In some small way, he was laying his burden for a prodigal nation to return unto him. In some small way, he was able to grab hold of my heart that entire day and speak to me at such a level, at such a core level, to cling to God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be a man who would live a consecrated life so that I could make a difference in my lifetime for generations yet to come. The Bible says in Psalm 126, verse 5, it says, those that sow with tears... They will reap with joy. Phew. I love that. Those that sow with tears, they'll reap with joy. You know, as I fast forward in time, you know, that was 1997. A month ago, I was walking, 2019, walking the mall with Josiah. But as I fast forward in time and I, I look across the present landscape nationally and spiritually across just the platform, the terrain, the spiritual terrain of America right now, I'll tell you, number one, what I've got to remember and I want to stir up in your spirit tonight, we've got to remember this. We walk by faith and not by sight. Regardless of what we are seeing in the natural realm, on the natural and spiritual landscape of America right now, we cannot begin to walk by sight. We've got to walk faith, declare faith, and speak the divine turnaround. Come on, give God praise. Come on. And also, regardless of our present circumstances... We have got to be a people who are anchored in hope. Anchored in hope. 
right now. In the last several decades, the Holy Spirit has been moving in our nation and nations across the world. He's been reigniting the prayer movement. He's been awakening a slumbering and dead church. He's been awakening. God has been so patient. God has been in such long-suffering, wooing us and courting us because we have been asleep. Are you okay? Because we have been slumbering. But a remnant people is coming alive. A remnant people of God is awakening right now. A remnant people is engaging in the very battle for the soul of our nation and the very prophetic destiny of our nation to be grasped and realized in this time. Our greatest hours are not behind us. Our greatest days are not behind us. Our greatest days are yet to be discovered ahead of us. Come on. I ask you this question tonight. I ask you boldly. I ask you soberly tonight. Is there hope for America? I ask you, is there hope for America? And I want to tell you, and I want to go on the record to say, oh, yes, abounding hope. Yes, yes, I believe that the move of God, the outpouring of the Spirit that we are going to come into, it's why you were born, it's why you are alive right now, is to enter in to the outpouring, the storm of fire that's going to come on America far beyond anything we've ever dreamed or imagined possible. Whoa! Hallelujah. Our hope has to be anchored in the one who is forever constant. Oh, God, let us hear this tonight. See, folks, circumstances change. Seasons change. Politics change. Presidents change. But the burning, eternal Son of God he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he doesn't change. He doesn't change. Victoria, I want you to come up here. I want you to stand here. Cody, come up here. Mark, come up here. They're thinking, oh, God, what is, what is Brian doing? I want you to just come up here. Come up here. Cody, I want you to just turn around. I want you to face that wall. Thank you. Victoria, come here. Everybody give a hand for Victoria. Right? Stay right there, Mark. So what I want you to do, uh, go ahead and turn around and look at Victoria. Just take a good look at her. Right? Yeah, okay, all right. So go ahead and turn around, Cody, face the wall. I want you to, I want you to cross your hands. and uh, Yeah, there you go. Now, what I, want, what I want you to do, I want you to just take all of your weight and go totally dead and just fall right into Victoria. Go ahead. No, you better not. Now, you're rethinking it, aren't you? You're kind of rethinking it, right? Okay, uh, Victoria, why don't you step out of the way and go ahead and sit down. Now, I want you to take a good look at Mark. Yeah, take a good look at him. You feel, you feel good about, now I want you to go ahead and fall into his arms. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Thank you, guys. You know why? You know why this is important? Because faith is only as strong as the object of faith that you put your hope in. 
Come on. Your faith is only as good and as strong as the object of your faith. Are you hearing this? Your faith is only, and by the way, Victoria's name is Victoria Faith. <laughs> but your faith is only as strong as the object that your faith is looking to. I'll tell you what, that should stir hope in you tonight. Who we have anchored our life and our hope in. Hallelujah. Our hope is not anchored in a church. Our hope is not anchored in, in some denomination or, you know, denominational persuasion. Our hope is in the heavenly burning man. Come on. Come on. The scripture says this in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1. 1, it says, now faith is the substance or it's the insurance of things that are hoped for. It's the evidence or it's the conviction of things not seen. See, real faith is actually secured and anchored in the very object of that faith. Glory to God. Man, I pray that hits you like lightning tonight. I want you to write this down. See, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is actually anchored in the Word of God as its foundation, but it finds its experiential revelation in the one who is living hope. My God, I'm preaching. Are you with me still? Are you with me? See, the root, the root of all authentic hope, the root of all mountain-moving faith is knowing that God's heart and intention towards us really is good. All mountain moving faith, all authentic faith, all genuine faith is anchored in this revelation. You know God is good. You know, C.S. Lewis, he wrote this. He said... The root of all sin starts with the suspicion that God is not good. Go ahead and tweet that. I'll give you a minute. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's not Brian. That's the yes, Lewis. Wow. Wow. See, God told the prophet Jeremiah these words. He said, I, I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plans. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm thinking over you. That's your father talking. I know what I'm going to do over you. I know exactly what I'm going to do with you. I, I know the dreams and the thoughts that I've been dreaming about you. And they are thoughts that will give you hope. They are thoughts that will bring you into a brighter future beyond anything we have ever imagined. You need to write this down tonight. Biblical hope is certainty. It's not probability. It is certain because it's anchored in Christ himself who is our hope. Who is our hope. See, God is worthy. He is worthy of our absolute assurance. Because he never fails us. He is worthy of our absolute assurance because he never fails us.
You know where hope flows from? Hope flows out of a covenant relationship with God. It flows out of a covenant relationship with God. That Christ is literally the centerpiece and the cornerstone of our hope. I've been amazed at the things that we have sang tonight that just put like the biggest amen and kiss on this message. In Matthew 12, 21, it defines Jesus that his name, that in his name it says the nations will actually place their hope. I want to say it to you like this tonight. Jesus is the hope of the nations. In his name, the nations will place their hope. That means this. It means that Jesus is the hope of the nations. The burning man, the heavenly man, the son of God, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the very hope and the cry of hope for salvation and rescuing for the nations. Glory to God. See, I believe, I believe America needs intercessors. They need believers, they need gatekeepers, they need messengers right now that are filled with hope. Are you with me? But see, we've got to be people who are actually living and tapping into the eternal reservoir of hope so that we've got a good word to say. I want to be a releaser of hope. I want us as a, a tribe, a family, to be releasers of hope. I want us to have a good word in season. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, there's a few things I've learned about our enemy. How many of you know that we have an enemy? Would you raise your hand? Okay, 40% of you. How many of you know that you have, you have an enemy? Yeah, his name is Satan. His name is the devil. He's a dragon. He's a devil. He's an accuser of the brethren. Let me tell you what I've learned about our enemy. He hates hope, and he hates confidence. You know why he hates hope? Because it's powerful. It's powerful. He is consistently bombarding believers continually with what? Disappointment and delays. Why? So that they'll lose their hope. A lot of us, me included, at times, we are dealing with a survival mode mindset. You ever been in survival mode? You ever just had to plow and get through? Okay, four honest people. We're going to try this side. Have you, have, oh, we'll try this side. You ever been there just getting through? It's been like a survival mindset. See, but the kingdom of God is actually a hopeful, ever-expanding mindset. In the kingdom of God, a hope mindset sees you within the promises of God. It doesn't see you just always living without them. Hope brings you into that place of walking the walk of faith, the adventure of faith, so that you, you find yourself moving into the territory of what we call manifestation. So that you, you're not holding a scratch and sniff sticker. You're holding the fruit. Come on. God is about an ever-increasing mindset. God is about a hope mindset. God has not forsaken America. 
and he will never forsake you. We're not called to survive in an hour of crisis. You're not called to just survive in an hour of crisis. You're to be trained by the Holy Ghost in this hour and whatever set of circumstances you're going to, to become a thriving, vibrant, radiant man and woman of God full of hope. God is sculpting you. God, is, God has had you on the potter's wheel tenderly, lovingly pouring water over you, getting you softer, getting you softer, getting you more humble, getting you more pliable, and putting his hands on you again and reshaping you. And you know what? The destiny of a vessel is not to just be a vessel. The destiny of a vessel is to be filled God's not just shaping you so you can say, oh, wow, he's in really good shape. <laughs> no, the destiny and the purpose of that vessel is to be filled with the glory of God. It's to be filled with hope in this hour. In Psalm 71, David says it like this. He, he says that God has forever been my stronghold of hope. My God. He's been my stronghold of hope. David says, as for, me, as for me, I will hope continuously. And I will praise you more and more. I want, I want that to grab you tonight. I will hope continuously. Have you ever looked into your world and seen every imaginable contradiction flashing before you? And yet in your spirit, you know that the anchor still holds and you have to say yet I will hope continuously. I will hope continuously. Am I preaching to anybody in this Lutheran church tonight? <laughs> you know, the scripture says this. You know, it says that those who put their hope in the Lord, they'll never be put to shame. That's a good word tonight. The essence of hope is a place of peace. And it's a place of rest. God is your security, my friend. God is your refuge. God is your stronghold of hope, sir. God is. You, you are not called to be a self-made man. You are called to be a God-made man. On the Lincoln Memorial in August of 1963... A man by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. He released a speech to over 250,000 civil rights supporters. One of the prophetic and inspirational lines of his speech, it's literally inscribed in his memorial in Washington, D.C. And this is what it says. Listen to these words. He says, with this faith... We will be able to hew out of a mountain of despair a stone of hope. One more time. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of this mountain of despair a stone of hope. That's powerful. It's what God is calling us to do. God longs for 
this to be our legacy in our generation. That when everyone is throwing up their hands, when everyone is frustrated, when everybody just keeps hitting a brick wall after a brick wall, no, God wants us to be the ones that stand to the wall, stand to the mountain, and be like Zechariah once again, and shout grace, grace to it. And that that mountain has to become like a plane and removed out of our way. How's it going to happen? We're filled with hope. We're filled with hope. Are you with me tonight? Let hope arise. Say it. Let hope arise. Come on, say it. Let hope arise. Romans chapter, or Matthew chapter 5. Go there. Matthew 5. I know we've got it on the screen. I want to read these verses over you. I have to encourage somebody tonight. We're just about there. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are reviled and they persecute you and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. This is Jesus talking. He's like, this is how you meet the contradiction in your life. This is how you face the mountain. This is how you do it. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're blessed when you're persecuted. Everywhere we look, persecution is getting greater. Everywhere we look, it seems like Christians are being painted into a very narrow corner. Persecution is on the increase. Last, last week, they had people from all over the world to come in and speak concerning the persecution of religion, especially Christianity. There was a White House call this past week where one of the leaders of our nation said that there were 30 gathered inside the Oval Office with President Trump. And they began to tell Christians that began to tell their stories of being persecuted The president was scheduled to leave and go into a a major meeting. He canceled that meeting and sat humbly with, with them and listened to every one of their stories of them being imprisoned and being beaten and being wounded and abused for the sake of the gospel. But Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. See, I want to say tonight, the one who stands within the wheel, within the wheel, the burning man, the one who is continually ablaze in holiness is watching our every move. He's watching our life. May God, oh, may God, may God stand at attention one day over you like he did for Stephen. When Stephen looked up and he said, I see the Son of Man at the right hand of the glory of God. And he stood up over Stephen as he was being stoned there in Jerusalem. And as Saul was holding all of their coats and they were throwing those stones to take his life. Jesus stood up over him and ushered him in to the glory of God. You are blessed when you're persecuted. 
You are blessed when you're persecuted. What will you have to face in the future? I don't know. But you are blessed. You are blessed. I want to give you another scripture tonight. You got five more minutes? Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. I want to read the first five verses. And we're just about there. And therefore, having been justified by faith, that's you and me, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, say it, hope. Say it, hope. Now, hope does not lead to disappointment. My God, this is good news. Hope does not lead to disappointment because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, in the midst of these trying times, in the midst of such great pressure, we've got to be confident. And I know that I'm confident that God sees what you and I cannot see. And he's working together a victory that is unprecedented right now. You will overcome. I want to say to someone in here tonight, do not underestimate the value of your process that God has you in. Do not underestimate the power of your trials. Do not underestimate the power of the present afflictions that you face. God is working. God is working. God is working. Galatians 6, 9, very familiar scripture. It says, we must not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 12, the apostle Paul, he writes these words. He says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. How do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. You, you do it by praying continuously. You want to strengthen yourself in the Lord? You pray continuously. And you ask God for more boldness. You ask God for more courage to strengthen you, to gird you up in this hour. You ever feel afraid? You ever feel intimidated? You ever feel backed up? You ever feel like the enemy is coming to bring, to, to dominate you? Get in that place of prayer and let the Lord strengthen your weak arms and your weak knees. Let him strengthen you in your inner man, reminding who you, you who you are, reminding you that you are a son of God, reminding you that you are a daughter of the king. Come on. God's going to create hope reformers in this hour. And these individuals are going to shift cities. They're going to shift regions. God's hope reformers are going to shift cities. They're going to shift regions into the will and the desires of God. That's what God is courting us and calling us into. He wants us to learn how to access his very throne, access the thunders and the lightnings of God, and release his will on earth as it is in heaven. Come on. 
And he wants us to hold fast the confession of our hope. In Hebrews 10, 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Here it is. For he who promised is faithful. Get it tonight. He who promised is faithful. He, listen, it's not because we deserve it. We can track times in our life where we were faithless, but God was faithful. When God was speaking and we were shaking our head and just saying, no, there's no way. And he's like, no, I am the way. This is going to happen. Well, how is it going to happen? I mean, Moses could tell us. God was telling me, it's going to happen. He's like, how's it going to happen? I can't even, I can't even talk. I've got problems, God. You're talking to the wrong guy. I've got problems. I can't even talk. I'm stuttering. I'll give you Aaron. I'll help you out. I'll help you out in your weaknesses. I'll put people around you to do things you can't do. Are you hearing me? He says, don't lose your confession of hope. This is powerful. I'm telling you what, this is a secret to real strength. This is a secret to real strength. This isn't just some sermonette. This is a secret source of power for you. You cannot lose your confession of hope. What if God has saved this best wine for last? What if? What if? What if God has really saved his best wine for last? See, Abraham, our father of faith, he chose to have hope. And this is where I'm landing. Abraham chose to have hope. Some of you in here, you have to choose tonight to have hope. You can't let the enemy intimidate you anymore. You can't let the enemy intimidate you anymore. You can't let the enemy intimidate you anymore. Remember, there was, she's not here tonight, there was a young lady in our church that came to me and she was telling me about demonic things that were happening in their house. She said, I don't know what to do, but I really want to deal with this. And I believe God wants me to deal with it. And I said, well, then let me give you the secrets. And I told her how they use the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the blood of Jesus. And when that spirit shows up, what to do with it. And you know what? She went home and she did it. And guess what? It worked. It worked. And it'll work for you. And it'll keep working for you. See, see Paul said in Philippians 2, we've read it already. The day's going to come, every knee's going to bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything above the earth, on the earth, and underneath the earth, they're all going to bow down and declare He is the burning holy man. He's the eternal burning one of God, the Son of God. You've been given authority, my friend. You've been given authority. Romans chapter 4, I've got to give this to you tonight. Verse 18 and verse 20, it says of Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope he believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. 
He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Don't miss that. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. More than ever, we cannot waver right now or fall into unbelief that our nation won't return to God. I'm going to say that again. We cannot waver or we cannot fall into unbelief that our nation will not return to God. And some of you are on the teeter-totter of that right now. I'm here to bring some hope. Let hope arise. Let hope arise. Let hope arise. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. You know what that is? That's Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. I'm going to flip this tonight in closing. I've got four more pages of notes to go, but I'm closing here. I'm not kidding. I shouldn't have wrote a book up here. <laughs> Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. You heard it? But fulfillment is like eating out of a tree of life. When I read this today, this is, this is my prayer, and this is where we're going to land. This is where it's going to stick. I want God's dream to be fulfilled. I want God to eat the fruit of his dream in America. Are you hearing me? God is patient. God is full of loving kindness. But when I read this today, I said, Lord, I want to anchor my hope in this realm. I want you to get what you desire and what you dream for for America. So that he can have the fruit and eat the fruit of his own dream. Are you with me tonight? I want you to stand to your feet. There are clouds of hope right now. That are... Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.